Hey, good Wednesday evening, everyone. I am not Scotty Powell. Scotty is off on assignment this week. He is in uh, Oklahoma City attending the Tornado Summit and having some fun with the uh, Foothills Weather Network folks and uh, getting some information for us and, and his group and uh, being able to bring a lot of that back. But I'm Ricky Matthews, uh, your host this week for our Carolina Weather Group chat about Goes R and Goes 16. Got a really exciting show for you, a pretty uh, geeky little show tonight. Uh, which is appropriate. I had the opportunity to go down and actually see Go's launch um, back in November. So it's something I'm really excited about and uh, something I've kind of followed along as the satellite's been built and then launched and now is becoming operational. So we'll get into that in just a moment. First off, we want to run around the board here, see what's happening in the worlds of all of our panel members. We'll bring in, uh, let's see, let's bring in Peter first. We'll go further north and bring in Peter. Who, uh, you guys had a little bit of, some wintry weather fun over the past week, right? <laughs> Plague. <laughs> um, yeah, we were supposed to get a uh, nice, sizable snowstorm on last Thursday. And you see how that really worked out. We were supposed to get about three to six inches, and I ended up with an inch. So, but college is closed and schools closed, and the roads are fine. So, story of my life. But uh, yeah, this week we're looking pretty good. We're going to be back in the 60s by the weekend and in the next week. Uh, just a little cold and windy tomorrow and Friday, but uh, up and down, up and down. That's all it's been this winter. And um, I don't like getting into seasonal stuff, but I think uh, we're not going to see any sizable snowstorm for the rest of the season. Just what I think. So You just jinxed it. Yep. yep now we're going to get one. <laughs> Peter the Groundhog has spoken, and uh, he has made his claim. It's nice to hear, though, that uh, one inch of snow can also shut down New Jersey, just like it can Virginia. Yep, as, uh, that's right. David knows. Our area does not do well with snow and shuts down very quickly. David, what's uh, happening up in Charlottesville tonight? Uh, well, it was a little breezy today. Cold front moved on through, dropping temperatures from 56 at around 2 o'clock down into the mid-40s just prior to sunset. So good, strong cold air advection. However, fun tidbit, we hit 82 here on Sunday. 82 wow. degrees in the middle of February, I was like, what? McCormick, which has records dating back into the 1890s, they only hit 77 degrees, which still broke the old record of 74 degrees set a number of years ago. And it's just like, what? And I have 70s, upper 60s to lower 70s in the forecast more often than not over the next several days. So a nice taste of spring. In fact, 70 is our average high in late April. So we have a nice string of warm days coming early next week or middle of next week, I should say. We'll have to watch. Euro's trying to give us a little bit of more of a caddy solution, which would obviously significantly lower those upper 60s I currently have in the forecast right now. So that'll be something we watch for. But in terms of any kind of significant, we have to go way out into the voodoo land of the GFS to find any hint of that. So I think, uh, Warm weather is going to be used more often than snow over the next couple of, oh, say, week, week and a half at least. And I am perfectly okay with that, even though we're <laughs> on the other side of the mountain across the uh, the spine of the Appalachians. But we, we you can have the CAD, and we'll stay on the warmer side uh, as we go into next week. Fair enough. All right, speaking of CAD, someone who has probably been in the CAD more than anyone else around here, that's James, who – is joining us, uh, I forget, were you on last week? I wasn't on last week, I don't believe. Was I, I think I was here. Were you? Uh, James has <laughs> been in and out and running around the entire United States. So uh, 
What yeah. happened in Charlotte? I heard there was a little runway excursion today at the Charlotte airport. There was a little runway excursion at the Charlotte airport today. A flight bound for Mississippi encountered a deer on, a, on the runway. Uh, luckily, the flight was able to stop. Everyone is doing just fine as far as I'm aware, but they did close the runway for a little bit uh, as they work to clean up a fuel spill. Uh, I assume the deer is probably not doing too great, but uh, I think the airport is, is back up and running at this point. And yeah, I was in Denver, Colorado this past weekend. Uh, got to go check out uh, that region, that part of the world, which was nice. It was very windy. The overhead signs on the highway said, uh, high wind conditions, multiple blowovers today. And I wondered to myself, is that something they put up every time it's windy, or is that actually topical? And uh, about an hour's drive on the interstate, we passed two tractor trailers that had been blown over. So either uh, it was topical or it just happens all the time. But uh, to that warm weather that David was talking about, I got off the plane back here Sunday morning from Denver, and boy, was it warm. warm. So that was quite the, uh, quite the shock. Yeah. Sunday was a uh, extremely warm day. Talking about the uh, runway excursion, I pulled up a little bit of information I saw on Twitter earlier. Um, Brian, uh, I don't know how to say his last name, Climatologist49 on Twitter. He tweeted out some pie reps from Alaska from last year. And you think deer are bad? Here's what some of the pie reps were. Moose in runway safety area. Moose has departed the area. Moose on approach in a runway 25. And gusty landing from the west. Uh, bear was hanging out on the taxiway. So... Could always be worse, I suppose, than a deer. So, all right, let's uh, throw it to our final panel member. That's uh, going to be Shay down in portions of South Carolina, where you guys had a little bit of some severe weather earlier today. Your mic may be muted if you're trying to talk there, Shay. Okay, let's try this again. All right, all right. Okay, so I have the screen share on, and I don't know if you can see this or not. Is it visible? Yep, you're good. Okay, uh, there's the wing where the deer hit, uh, right there. <laughs> it went airborne. You can see the damage done. Uh, there was some surprises to you know that it didn't do more damage than that, but I mean, you can see what a deer does to an airplane wing uh, going 150 miles per hour. So, just wanted to share that. Pretty interesting, but yes, they, uh, they as far took as off on that plane. Uh, yeah, apparently so. I think they hit it. They were, you know, they were already gaining speed, from what I understand. I mean, they, uh, it was sitting on the runway though for the longest time. I'm gonna go check. That's weird. Hmm. Yeah, that was that was a tweet. Yeah, that was a tweet. I think they went up and then came around. That's right. Oh, okay. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There may be several versions of that story, but either way, there's the damage. So not very pretty, but at least it didn't, you know, take the wing off. So uh, yeah, some severe weather today, Ricky. Most of it was inland. We keep getting. Uh, we, we kind of a running joke now where we say uh, sea surface temperatures or cool shelf waters uh, 10 storm zero because every time we get a, a storm line approaching the coastline with strong southerly inflow off the cooler shelf waters that tends to be a stabilizing agent for all the thunderstorms and so we could just see the lightning counts dissipating as the lines of the storms repeatedly came towards the coastline but just inland at Lake Moultrie and portions of I'd say just Midland between Midlands South Carolina and the coastline I uh, saw some pretty significant severe weather all the way up through Horry County, South Carolina, which is a far northeast corner, uh, and into Wilmington as well. Charlotte, North Carolina, saw a really intense wet microburst. Uh, there was a report of uh, a few reports of tornado warnings, but those were only radar indicated. 
uh, rotation. So there was no sightings. There was, um, I, I did catch a picture taken from a phone. The, the person of the phone didn't have or didn't want to give out the phone number. Uh, but that's questionable evidence at this point as to whether or not that was a real sighting. I've, I've forwarded that to Wilmington, but there's nothing on the LSR reports today for any sightings of tornadoes, just a lot of rotations in the um, atmosphere. So with that said, we've had pretty mild temperatures here. We, we tied a record the other day of 79 degrees, uh, and we are just you know, still enjoying spring weather. Things, uh, the plants are budding, the flowers are coming out, all of the animals are behaving like it's springtime. So, I mean, we're uh, old man's pretty much asleep at the wheel at this point. I think we're going to transition right in the spring the way it looks, at least for the next uh, two weeks to 30-day outlook. Uh, doesn't look to change very much. Maybe a couple of cold snaps here and there, here and there with a roller coaster ride. But other than that, uh, we're just cruising right through a very, very mild winter. Boy, I don't know about you, Tim, but talking about 70s and 80s makes me a little jealous. Uh, up in the mountains here where I am and probably in Wisconsin where you guys are. Yeah, no, that's going to be a long time. <laughs> All right. Well, let's segue a little bit from our intros into our guest tonight. Tim Smith joins us. He is an expert on Gozar. In fact, he's the only man I know who has a Gozar tie. Uh, he was one of the presenters at the Storm Center broadcast workshop I was able to attend when the Gozar satellite was going to be able to launch back in uh, November of last year. And he joins us tonight from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, correct? Correct. And uh, tell us a little bit about your, your position there and kind of your day-to-day -day job and stuff, and then how you're related to the GOES-R program for a little bit of background information on you. Sure. So, yeah, so um, in Madison, Wisconsin, as we like to remind people, the birthplace of satellite meteorology with Professor Vern Sumi, you know, in the, the early days, in, the, in not only the 50s, 60s, and beyond, uh, first person, for example, to put a... Uh, a sensor on a polar orbiting in 1959 that me measured the heat budget of, of the Earth uh, before that satellites just kind of beat. So, uh, he, you know, he started that and, of course, you know, continued that with geostationary. So in Madison, Wisconsin, there's also what's called SIMS or the Cooperative Institute for Meteorological Satellite Studies. So state employees, um, experts in satellite meteorology, and there's a small group of NOAA employees, of which I am one. So NOAA has their research group, uh, main one in Washington, D.C. area. Um, and then there's a, a, a subgroup here, again, to work along with the tech transfer with ideas from the university into the government. So our main goal here, the local group is called Advanced Satellite Products Branch, or again, working on algorithms, et cetera, to turn satellite data into environmental information. And so when GOES-R launched, or let's take it back a little bit before that. Before GOES-R launched, what was your job uh, at, at the university or with the program? Yep. Well, so obviously before a satellite's going to launch, you need to have instruments. And before you have instruments to build, you have to decide what's going to be on those instruments. So I've been involved since, you know, the Weather Service had a long list of requirements. This goes back to the late 90s. It said, boy, these are things we would like to observe. We kind of looked at that and said, well, at that point, they had eight spectral bands or different frequencies. And we said, well, you know, you really need more than that to observe all the things you want to see. So uh, I was able to work with my SIMS colleagues and others and be able to get that number from eight up to 16. So we did a lot of what I'll call mission definition, which basically says, you know what, they're requiring us from National Weather Service. Those are, in a sense, in meteorology space. But and then. For while GOES-R is a 
NOAA program, NASA, you know, will, you know, work with contractors or whatever of, of what to build. So we kind of worked at that interface between kind of NASA, NOAA, between the, the, the meteorology requirements and then what would have to be built. So for example, hey, if we have a band that's at a certain frequency, we can see SO2 associated with volcanic eruptions. If we had another one, we could see uh, vegetation, burn scars. Um, so again, um, so I've been working on GOZAR a long time. Uh, again, originally it was this mission definition, um, then as part of algorithm development. So again, to turn the satellite data into environmental data, we need uh, computer programs to do that. Um, there's a group called the Algorithm Working Group that, again, for different areas, different leads, working with uh, other people. And so, for example, um, I'm a co-chair of the imagery group and then a co-chair of the soundings. So, for example, uh, total precipital water estimations from GOES-R. So, uh, the other thing that we've done before launch was um, simulating computer simulations of what the ABI data would look like. And that's to help in training, weather service or others, uh, being able to run through the system. So for example, data was generated here at Wisconsin, sent to Washington, DC, and run through the ground system, sent out over NOAA port, which then people could practice bringing in like to National Weather Service, again, simulated data, but you could practice and watch 16 bands and all the different details of it so then when we get on orbit data data is ready to flow so you know before launch it was mission definition algorithm development and the simulation for flow and then once uh we get data it's more the post-launch test uh, verification and uh just making sure everything works and so on November 19th, we're able to get Gozar up into, or at least beginning its position up into orbit on the uh, rocket. And so as you mentioned, afterwards, it's been a lot of kind of verification and looking at that data. Speak a little bit to that uh, and then kind of compare Gozar to some of the other satellites we have or had, I should say. Yeah. So first, yeah, uh, so first of all, as you know, uh, we call them letters when they're on the ground even right after they're launched. And then when they get to geostationary orbit, that's when it earns its number, if you will. So it goes R became goes 16, just like once upon a time goes I became go, goes eight. So, you know, once it gets up, you know, so it takes some time just the orbit raising, just, just to get up there. Um, then once it's up there, there's um, um a various number of engineering tests that has to go through is everything working on the spacecraft kind of level and then they slowly turn on the number of instruments i should point out that on goes r go 16 there's actually six different major instruments so four deal with the solar uh space environment and then the two earth viewing so the advanced baseline imager is what the name implies our advanced imager and a geostationary lightning mapper, which gives us total lightning, which uh, is a brand new instrument on GEO. So again, if you just looked at the cloud to ground lightning, you're missing probably 85% of the lightning. And there's research to suggest that severe weather is subsequent after lightning increases and then rapidly decreases. So 
brand new lightning mapper, number of solar and space monitors that are improved, and then we have the ABI, Advanced Baseline Imager. So the current GOES imager has five spectral bands, one visible, four infrared. That's good, um, um, but that's not as good as 16 spectral bands, which the ABI has. So we go from one to two visible bands. We add four what are called near-infrared bands, although people like to think of them as near-visible bands because they're also sense the reflected light from the Earth. Again, just at different frequencies, so we can monitor different things. And then in the infrared side, we go from four spectral bands on the current imager to 10. So again, right now we have one water vapor band um, to give us mid-level flow on the current GOES imager. Well, that's good. ABI, we have three. So now you can start to looking at flow at different heights in the atmospheres, try to look at more shear, more of the steering currents for hurricanes, um, more winds as you track these things clouds or moisture in time sequence. You can get an estimate of the wind field. You can then put that into America model and get a better estimate of uh, what the wind fields are gonna be at different heights. So ABI is improved spectrally going from five to 16 bands. It's improved spatially. Uh, today's imager nominally has a four kilometer IR sensor. Well, that improves to a two kilometer sensor on ABI, so you can see finer details. So for example, if you're looking at a hot spot or a fire, obviously you want to get that as fine as you can. If you're looking at uh, some sort of small scale wave structure in the atmosphere, you would need to be able to resolve those. If you're looking for an overshooting top, obviously if your field of view is too large, you're gonna blur that, blur that out so that Finer resolution doesn't just allow you to see the same things a bit finer. It allows you to see some things that we can't resolve today. So that's a spatial improvement, a spectral improvement. And the really exciting thing about the ABI is the temporal improvement. So if you did nothing else but just did a full disk um, scan, today that takes 25 minutes from, for the imager. If you did nothing else with the ABI, that'd take just five minutes. Uh, the main default uh, scan mode gives is a cadence of a full disk every 15 minutes. And remember today, we just take a full disk every three hours. A CONUS or Continental United States scan every five minutes, plus these two mesoscale areas. So these are a thousand by thousand kilometer square that are totally relocatable. So again, when there's rapidly changing phenomena, the, these mesoscale sectors can get, uh, if you looked at one location, get 30 second data or two locations, one minute data to look at convection, hurricanes, fires, fog, et cetera. So um, as I like to say for ABI, the one word you have to remember is improved because it's improved and improved and improved spatially, spectrally, or temporally. Now, Tim, we got uh, Himawari 8, the Japanese satellite, was sort of the first gen uh, to make it into space to give this kind of quality data for the Western Northern Hemisphere. Is this GOES-16 specifically for the Eastern Northern Hemisphere, or is this going to be global? Yep. So uh, these are, uh, so the GOES are, you know, in the geostationary orbit, so orbiting above the equator and different longitude positions. Um, and so right now, GOES 16 is basically over the center of the country at around 90 degrees longitude. But when 
when we get uh, goes R, and then I should point out that goes R is a series of four instruments, four spacecraft. So once goes S launches and becomes goes 17, so one will go to an east location. So that's above the equator and 75 west longitude. So that gives you a great view of the Atlantic and the eastern United States. And then the other one will go to 137 west. So that'll give you a good view of the eastern Pacific and the western United States. And as you say, uh, Japan has an advanced uh, imager. It's actually built by the same company that the ABI was. Uh, Korea is also planning on buying one of those instruments. Europe's got plans for advanced imagers as well over their part of the world. So we're really in an exciting time where the whole global constellation is upping its game in these improved imagers. Right, yeah, the Cygnus launch, that'll help out as well, especially with advanced scatterometer readings. Um, there's all kinds of uh, there's all kinds of great things going on right now. Uh, how about sea surface temperatures? Is, is GO16 gonna be helpful with that? Yep. Yep. So, um, as you know, there's there's polar orbiters. Those are great. They give you a global view. Uh, and as their name implies, they orbit over the poles and they can give you a global view as the Earth turns under it. Um, although if you have a region of interest uh, where you want, say, the sea surface temperature and your polar orbiter goes over, it might be cloudy. Well, you're out of luck until the next orbit and then you may not be over that same location. So. The geostationary data allows for the clouds to move and then you can kind of peek within them. Um, and again, the best is a, uh, a constellation of where you're taking the best of both information. So if you have a higher spatial resolution sensor, great, use it. Um, but again, if you the GOES gives you the temporal and then you can also, for example, average over time to reduce your signal to noise. There's a whole list of uh, level two or derived products that the ABI will produce. Um, so yeah, uh, dealing with oceanography, so sea surface temperature, land, land surface temperature, uh, you know, uh, vegetation, um, of course, the atmosphere, clouds, um, hazards, uh, smoke, uh, fires. I mentioned SO2 associated with volcanic eruptions or even just volcanic ash with some other spectral bands. Um, of course, that's important for aviation safety since some pilots don't like it when their uh, planes stop working, when their, uh, when the engines stop working, if you run into to, to ash. And again, the geostationary satellite gives you kind of that surveillance and multiple looks and uh, goes R will just be that much better. So that's going to be plugged into the MODIS imaging and with like aerosol, say, I'm always fascinated with the Saharan air layer. So we always look for that in the tropics. Uh, is that is that going to cover some of those bases as well? Yep, yep. So uh, to to get this air and hair layer, we'll have to wait until the uh, the goes R or S or sixteen or seventeen go, goes out east. It's it's kind of a big view on the limb right now from the uh, from the center center location. But uh, but yeah. So so you know, right now we're really just showing you know some snippets of the of the imagery. Um, and that's important. That's, you know, the first thing. But then as time goes on, we'll move toward these more quantitative products as well. Um, for wildfires, let's talk about those for a little bit, because that was a big problem we had here in North Carolina and Tennessee. 
over the past, uh, oh, I guess five, six months or so through the fall season 2016. Talk a little bit about what goes 16 is going to be able to do for wildfire detection, um, perhaps even forecasting of the smoke and things like that. Yep. Yep. So first of all, I should point out that, you know, we have this one minute mode on ABI. So a number of years ago, we asked, hey, we've got this backup satellite. Right now we have an operational east and west, 13 and 15. We have GOES 14, and it was going to be out for some other purposes. And we said, hey, could we take one minute data to practice and get ready for, for ABI? And they said, sure. Well, and that's why we've gotten, you know, three, seven days of Hurricane Sandy. Um, but we've also caught a number of fires. Um, uh, the, um, for example, the California Rim Fire. Um, but one of the things we were doing with that data is flowing to some weather service offices. So I know that in uh, Norman, Oklahoma, they were getting this one minute data experimentally and looking at the hotspots. So there's a number of IR sensors on here. And so there's a what's called the four micron, same as the, our band two that we have today. And that's very sensitive to temperature. So with the GOES-14, now that's today's imager, not the advanced imager, but it, we we're getting the one minute data. So that data was flowing to the WFO. They were looking at hotspots, noticing when they were developed and tweeting out to their emergency managers and forestry people. And about 60% of the time, they were telling the forestry people what was on fire before anybody even called 911. So that's just a glimpse. And of course, that's with an experimental use with current GOES. ABI is going to be better for a number of reasons. I mentioned the finer spatial resolution. So um, now we're not blurring that hot spot over a larger field of view and making it harder to detect. We've gotten some glimpses of GOES 14, uh, GOES 16 data where we've compared it to current GOES. And the fire in a couple of locations were about nine degrees K warmer. The fire itself wasn't any warmer. We were just able to resolve that. And of course, that's going to stand out more from its background. So we'll do a much better job with the detection of hot spots. I also mentioned the finer resolution. Obviously, goes imager today, nor normally every 15 or 30 minutes. Well, if you have a 30 minute gap because we're doing a full disk, and a fire starts, you can't see that. If you have five minute data routinely, now you can look at that data and, and see that, you know, in a much uh, more timely manner. Um, as far as forecasting, you know, there's a lot of work being done to, to now take, uh, not with GO 16 yet, but take satellite fire locations, make some assumptions for what's burning. So then now you're starting to generate in within a numerical model, the aerosol and that plume then advects downstream. And of course, that's very important for uh, the, you know, for health, for air, air quality. And of course, as you know, you might have smoke that's lofted and then later will come down to the surface. And so the fire might be burning in Canada and may not affect any place between Canada, but then can mix down and affect in your, in your location. Um, I should also mention um, when they, they build these sensors, you can see there's different saturation temperatures. Hey, you don't see any hotter than that. So goes current goes for this fire detection band is capped at like 320 Kelvin 
that's going to be up to 400 Kelvin with the ABI. So much better detection for fires and aerosols as well. Uh, I remember you telling that story in Florida, and that was just an incredible story to hear that satellite was detecting things faster than some of the people's eyes were, and 911 was getting reports and uh, crazy. Yeah. And the other thing to remember, you know, we're uh, 36,000 kilometers, not quite a tenth of the way to the moon. So uh, again, when you think of what the GOES-R instrument it is, it really is a big telescope, but instead of looking out at space, it's looking down at Earth. All right, let's segue back just a little bit because you had some pictures you wanted to present uh, yep. of some previous GOES-R, excuse me, not GOES-R, from some previous GOES imagery comparing some of the first images to some of the images we're getting now from GOES-16. Yeah. Give me a second to screen share there, and I think Shay can present it. There we go. Okay, great. Okay, so this is a quiz. Which one are you like to look at better? No, it's, no, it's not really. Um, so on the right there, you see the full disk from GOES-13, our operational e-satellite. And as I mentioned, it's got one visible band. And so normally, you know, it's shown in, in, in a grayscale. What's shown on the left is what's called an enhanced true color, or where you've done a Rayleigh correction or uh, basically brightened up the image, um, be, you know, uh, to take account some of the aerosols. But you can see that now we've moved from the black and white world into the uh, color of view of the world. So it's really just amazing when, when you look at these. And again, on the right, you might have to try to explain to somebody, well, the white here means this, and that gray means ocean, but the other gray means land. <laughs> and uh, and again, people can look at an image on the on the left and say, oh, I get it. That's where the clouds are. Um, there was uh, this back from January 15, so a big uh, um, ice storm in the center of the country. The great you know Great Lakes. Um, but again, you can just look at this and get the idea of you know the vegetation, you know find the, the ocean. The, the land, et cetera. So um, let me just show um, another <clears throat> image. So this is from the same time, zoomed in just a little bit. Uh, maybe this one's the easiest to see the, 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 the coastline. So <clears throat> I mentioned, you know, if we looked at this from the GOES imager that we have today, you'd only look at five of these. So, to, so right now, we have a 0.47 or band one, that's the most sensitive to aerosols, so, so picking up smoke, et cetera. We don't have that uh, spectral band today. The second band is a, a visible near 0.6 micron, similar to, to what we have today. If you compare that to band two to band three, you can see how much brighter the land is here, and that's because vegetation reflects differently in this band, the 0.86, versus the 0.6. So again, now you can start to look for burn scars, vegetation health, et cetera, by comparing these bands. A brand new band to, to the geostational imager family and um, Himawari, uh, you mentioned the, uh, well, it was built by the same company, has 15 of the same 16 bands. It does not have this, what we call a cirrus band. And so that's for, uh, if there's enough moisture in the atmosphere and you see something here brighter, you know that that's a high cloud. So, for example, off Baja, um, uh, let's go off the off the east uh, nor, uh, northern eastern seaboard, you could see white clouds here and white clouds there. Well, wh what is the height? 
Well, you can look here and you know that these are high clouds from uh, by just this by where this basement where this placement is in a uh, in a water vapor absorption feature. So those are two of the near IR bands or near visible. So again, reflected light. And so, for example, band five here um, and band one or two, um, a water cloud or ice cloud is both uh, white, if you will. But uh, here, an ice cloud is uh, a more absorbing. So you can see the difference between cloud top phase. Of course, that has implications for uh, aircraft icing. This band we can use for particle size. Um, again, we have a, another four micron band. So that's you know for hot spot detection we talked about, uh, fog detection at, at night. Um, and then I mentioned three water vapor channels. So again, you can look at three different altitudes um, of motion. You can also get the idea, uh, this 7.4, you can see SO2 if uh, associated with a volcanic eruption. Then we have what are called window channels or you know, seeing the, the surface. Um, this one also you can do cloud top phase day or night. Uh, we have a band that's cooler due to ozone. Again, a number of window channels that uh, it's hard to tell on this scale, but they're differently sensitive to moisture. So ideas of low level moisture and then a 13.3 band that you can uh, see on uh, for, for, for clouds. So again, that's a little bit about just, uh, uh, um, again, you can either by look at these or you can start to uh, derive different different parameters fr fr from that. Um, I mentioned the, fi the finer uh, spatial re resolution of the, um, of the ABI. So on the left, we have GO-16. And you can see these wave clouds, for example. Uh, you can also get the hint of this, you know, post-frontal boundary. Um, now, of course, it's just one of the three water vapor bands. On um, fortunately, on GOES 13, you more see some of this vertical striping, which is an artifact of the instrument, as opposed to the um, wave phenomena. Now, you can actually see the wave phenomena, especially after you've seen it. You know what's there in the ABI. Um, but again, this is just an example of how much better the spatial resolution is so it's not just seeing the edge of a cloud uh finer detail but it's starting to resolve some things and we'll see i mean I, with these associated with uh with uh clear air turbulence um we haven't really had the data to uh to look at that uh before um i can uh there was a uh a, there a disc trail or a punch cloud or a fall streak, whatever you want to call them. Uh, so here's uh, uh, your neck of the woods, uh, North Carolina. Uh, this is from uh, earlier in, uh, in, in February, February 1st. And it's a little bit hard to see, but there's some um, uh, wave clouds in the northern part of the image. Um, and then you also see these, um, the, uh, the uh, punch clouds. Um, and then we can compare that to, for example, the same. So here's that same cloud um, in the a, in the current goes. Again, it's there as it should be. It's just a little bit fuzzier. Um, the other thing one could do is to start to look at uh, some of the other bands and say, like, boy, you know, because you know, you know, the uh, closest cloud is a water cloud, and then an ice cloud where it's glaciated here. 
And you can see that by looking at some of the spectral uh, band tests. So um, again, there's just a lot more uh, information that we can uh, that we could play off of each other. Um, I mentioned a little bit about the different coverages. So we do a full, full disk every 15 minutes. Um, plus, so this isn't an OR, this is an AND. Plus, and this is the view from Central. So of course, the continental United States there every five minutes. And then as I said, these mesoscale, that's about the size of these boxes where you can start to get one minute um, data. So um, in, a, in a normal, uh, once we get operations, well, when once we have, a, you know, goes ABI east and west, we get two mesos from each bird or each satellite. So two from east and two from west. So you could start to see, and again, these can be moved for to look at fires, um, you know, hurricanes, uh, convection, uh, et cetera. Um, so there's just that much more uh, data out there that uh, that people are going to be able to, uh, to 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 look at. Um, Tim, I got a quick question. Um, when, you're, when you're getting into those windows, um, first of all, is there any way you can make a, a window for for just the southeast by itself? <laughs> I know the Gozi sort of carves it up a little bit. I, I, that's kind of a kind of yeah. a joke question, but um, the, really, I'm fascinated to see what it's going to do for the tropics regions. Yeah. Um, so, um, as you know, when we're going to be able to combine the ABI data with the with the GLM data, so then you start to be able to look at you know the you know how much lightning's in a uh, convective uh, structure um, versus you know the ABI where we can look at the the cloud phase, etc. Um, I mentioned the different attributes of the ABI. You know more spectral bands, finer resolution, finer time. And from that, then you can track these uh, clouds over time and get an idea of the better a cloud um, or wind field. And, you know, that's uh, very important, you know, in, in the tropics. So um, you start to put all the pieces together. So now you can have, see how much dust is in the atmosphere by looking at a band that's sensitive to, to aerosol. You can, uh, you know, now look at uh, how dry it is by using some of these window channels to see how much low level moisture is there. And we can characterize the clouds better, especially the cloud cloud tops and fold it all in with the, with the GLM. So I think every part of the wor world that we see is gonna have a great uh, improvement. I see some of the uh, yeah first first light images there. You can see where we captured the the moon. Here's a that same image I showed of the of the enhanced color. Um, and yeah, there's the there's our comparison. I I should say. Um, so if you follow uh, at NOAA satellites, uh, they're um, putting out some of these tweets of some of the sample data a, as we go, um, and. Yeah, if you if you scroll down a little bit, in fact, uh, just for the, I don't know if you could play that loop or you want me to play that loop, um, but uh, it and it, it's best on a, on a larger monitor. But what you're looking at, uh, they released just tonight for the uh, Carolina Weather Group, uh, some 
sample of 30 second imagery. So again, uh, this is uh, band five or what we call the uh, snow ice band. And so when you look at this, you can quickly see the water cloud, the brighter cloud versus what's glaciated, the gray clouds. So um, you can also then see some of the, the, the shadows as, as well, the, the darker. But, you know, when we start to look for overshooting tops, um, you know, there's uh, waves on top of the, uh, the, the anvils. Um, again, uh, when you want to start to look at the, the, the meso environment, now that we're on this uh, spatial resolution of this band at the sub point is something like one kilometer. But again, now we're on that one kilometer, one minute, oh, this loop's actually 30 seconds, um, you know, region. And again, there's actually a higher resolution band for this. The traditional visible band, the 0.6, is a factor of four improved spatial resolution over this. So uh, again, just a, a phenomenal amount of data. I don't know if anyone has any questions or comments on this loop. It's just mind boggling that, to look at all the different data we have now. I'm sitting here like, boy, I need to go back and learn how to use a lot of this. And I think a lot of it's probably going to be more operationally used on the job, kind of learning little tricks of the trade. Are, are you guys going to be learning some of those as well with us? I mean, oh, driving sure. new products? Yeah. Um, you know, there, we like to say we're really just scratching the surface of what we're planning to do out of day one. That's really what was planned literally decades ago. But how best to use the information again how to, to squeeze that satellite data into actionable information we're all going to be learning for that it's a good problem to have that there's a lot of of information in there um how best to combine the temporal resolution the spectral resolution the spatial resolution you have imagery you can then start combining images we showed a little bit about that in the, that color image but you can do other rgb type comparisons then there's a whole world of the quantitative um, drive products. How do you combine that with the qualitative imagery and ultimately put it into a numerical model to do better? So, so yeah, I mean, we're all going to be learning. I will say there's a number of uh, um, material out there, um, band fact sheets, and where we tried to boil everything down into uh, two pages about each band or what people may need to know about it. There's a uh, Comet has a lot of free online uh, material that anybody can take from, you know, Gozar 101 to uh, uh, the 16 spectral bands to some of the, some of the different uh, products. Um, so I think we're all gonna be uh, learning when we uh, uh, really have rolled out this data, not only on the research side, the operational side, the broadcasting side, um, I mean, it, it really is is amazing. Yeah, there's another example you're showing. Again, goes 13 uh, water vapor versus a uh, go goes 16. Um, let me show, see if another. Um, I'm working on this, uh, Tim. It looks like you're you're kind of uh, scrolling there. Okay, should the I presentation. stop sharing? I would stop sharing and then try sharing one more time. It looks like we got a little bit backed up on it. Okay, so there you go. I kind of uh, got you back there. Okay, so let me just, I'm going to try to bring up uh, an animation here, which uh, is always exciting. Um, 
And this is uh, an animation of the. Uh, I'm going to click again, then I'm pretty sure I'm going to get it, get it, get it twice. I think this is a pretty big. So, some of these they have out there again on the on the uh, on the the, the web page, um, NOAA satellites, and uh, so. Again, this is that same case I showed earlier. Wait, I, I better, I'm not, am I sharing? No, if you could uh, start that again, I think you're not sharing at the moment. Nah, okay. I think we, we, we cleared that up just fine. Now all you gotta do is just do the share screen again. There you go, let's see, let's get you okay. up back and running. Here we go. All right, try that. Great, all right. So yeah, I did, uh, did, did it open three times, what a surprise. Um, Okay, so same deal, goes 16 on the top, goes 13 on the bottom, and you can see these uh, punch or, or hole clouds. So so now uh, time sequence here, I think it'll take a little bit, I think it's a pretty big file. Uh, again, this should be looking on a big screen. That's the other take home message with uh, ABI data, buy as big a screen as your, your boss will allow you. Um, because uh, again, there's a lot, a lot of detail to uh, a lot of detail to see. So on the bottom, you can see um, it's just that much jumpier. Goes 13 again every 15 or 30 minutes. It's maybe a little bit harder to put in. Uh, you know, which let's keep that going. Um, which is which is which as far as uh, the di the different uh, features. If you just see them every 15 or, or 30 minutes, but the image on the top is that much smoother. And again, this is just quote unquote just the five minute data. So the data that we'll have routinely, but not uh, the really rapid scan. Um, like, uh, you can actually see the rippling in the in the super cool atmosphere there where the, the jets have yeah. gone through. Yeah. And I trust when you say you can see it, you can see it in the go 16. The the top. Um, some of that's harder to see in the uh, the goes 13. So, so again, it was time for a big uh, big improvement, which we've gotten now with uh, go go 16. Tim, I like your suggestion of trying to get the biggest screen possible for this. I think when we're done tonight, I'm going to go to rewatch our show on the YouTube channel on my Roku television. Yeah, um, we yeah. have. Go ahead. I was just going to say we have folks who you know uh, most of us are probably watching on YouTube. But a small handful of them may be listening on an audio podcast tonight. I'm not sure why they are missing out on these beautiful images, but I'm just I'm wondering: is there an analogy you you guys have used to kind of describe this in words to folks? Is this like going from black and white television to color high definition flat panel TV? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is truly going you know from one century to another century. Um, our GOES imager was kind of have been unchanged since 1994. Well, that was going to launch in the late 80s, and so that means it had to be designed before then. Um, but yes, it's really the you know the the flip phone to a, a super iPhone, but even that doesn't say it. Um, when you look at a full disk image of, uh, of one of these half a kilometers, um, it's literally 28,000 lines by 28,000 elements. Okay, so think of how many iPhones you need to stack up to look at the whole disk at the same time. So, I mean, it, it's it's amazing. And I know that's not how we look at that, 
But when you look at a full disk, you're throwing away 99.9% of the data to make it nice and small. So again, a larger, larger screens and, and more disk space. Those are my, uh, those are my two. Uh, but if anybody's done up just listening, they can still go to, uh, again, um, the Gozar webpage. Um, and, and if you, I guess maybe I'm sharing, if you go to the Gozar webpage, uh, it, it's got a link to this, uh, you know, go 16, I'll go over to the homepage. Um, and then it's got a view, view images and animations. And uh, again, right now it's just sa sample data and you've looked at some of that, but you can also uh, download, for example, the originals and then, you know, watch it in a, 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 as it really should be. If you, uh, again, if you're watching it, YouTube, put it in as uh, big as a screen as, as you can. Um, but again, there's just uh, a lot of, uh, um, you know, here's just a case of a, of a fire and uh, smoke um, down, down, down in Mexico or whatever. Again, some of the first light image from my uh, colleague in uh, Co Colorado. So again, um, there's a lot of uh, imagery out there to, uh, to, uh, to look at. Right now, it's just a smattering. But, um, but again, you know, when you start looking at some of this, uh, uh, data, uh, especially at high time, uh, high, high space. So, um, it really is uh, amazing. Um, the Capital Weather Gang said uh, uh, in one of their reporting that quote unquote meteorologists are drooling. And, uh, I don't think I can see it any better any better than that. So absolutely, I, I think we we will join them uh, in that. So uh, that's goes-r.org, if I'm not mistaken, or was it goes-r.gov? Gov. Yep. Yep. Gov. Okay, so goes-r.gov. Yep. We'll put that up on our social, folks, uh, for anyone who might just be listening tonight and is missing out on these beautiful pictures. But uh, Tim, as we get close to nine o'clock, I just wanted to reiterate. I think something we talked about earlier in that the satellite is giving us some beautiful images, but it's not just pretty pictures, right? We're going to get a lot of really useful scientific information out of this. Sure, right. I mean, the, the whole goal is saving lives and property, and that's what this is going to do. It, we're showing the images because that we, we have now, but it's, you know, using this information combined with other information, increase uh, lead times or severe weather, you know, uh, um, you know better um, fire detection, uh, aerosol detection, Putting this information in numerical models, better forecasts. Um, it really is a game changer, or, or shall I say, it will be when the whole community has been able to get the information that the instrument allows and use it for their applications. Sorry, I was uh, right. on a different screen there for a moment. My bad. Uh, okay. All right. He was he was looking at the pretty pictures. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tim, if you would, uh, you could end that presentation. There you yep. go. Now we're, now we're back. Good deal. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. If any, anybody can use it at any point and say, man, I would have gotten that done, but I was looking at 30 second uh, ABI data. So I didn't have the report done or whatever, whatever you need to use. So. Exactly. You know, uh, sorry, boss. I wasn't paying attention. I was a little busy. Uh, and then you show them the, uh, the, the 30 or second data and then they'll get mesmerized and then you can walk away so it's uh, I, I know that, that's the fun part with you know with david and i in television i don't think most of the people at our station understand or maybe share the same geekiness as we do when we look at this data but eventually i think they'll 
come around when we have a wildfire in our area and I'm able to show the smoke or I'm able to, to break it down locally and show some of those local impacts uh, using right. some of this higher resolution data. And you'll have a lot of a uh, lot of opportunities for that in the the, the years of like I say it goes R which is 16, S T and U, um, and this incre incredible data. What happens when we run out of letters in uh, many many years? <laughs> um, I'll be retired by that time. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, how much of this data? I know obviously the data is flowing from the satellite now. Are you guys seeing that data in real time at the Madison? Yep. Uh, so, um, as I said, I'm a chair of the AWG um, Algorithm Working Group um, the team. So, one of the things that we're getting this data, and so there's various stages uh, before it's operational. One, for example, we need to deem the data to a beta maturity. Okay, and so when after that happens, the data is going to be populated in GRB, which is the broadcast stream that that comes down. So obviously, to get ready to get ready for the beta review, we need to get the data so we can put the information together to show people and say, you know, yes, we're ready for that next stage. So beta is the the first stage. Then it goes provisional, and then ultimately it'll be operational. So Tim, not to put any pressure on you, but I'm sure a lot of folks are asking, what is a kind of a time frame that we're looking at to get? Uh, yep. I know this is going to probably come in layers and probably sections yep. at a time. So yep. give us so kind of a me, breakdown. Yep. So uh, like I said, uh, end of February, uh, this month already, we're going to have our review for are we ready to deem the imagery beta. Um, after that, we're looking at, um, you know, uh, in the summer, the next step, provisional. Um, then ultimately in the fall is when um, I should mention it sometime in there. Um, right now, NASA and crew are operating the satellite. At some point, there's an official handover to NOAA to operate it. Uh, it's a little bit of a detail, but then in the fall, November type time frame, then goes 16, will go operational in either the east or the west uh, um, lot, spot um, to be determined which one. But whichever one it isn't, that's when goes S, which will become 17 after it's get checked out, will be there. So um, again, it's really not that long in the scheme of things that we'll have one operational um, advanced uh, series. And then uh, not too long after that, that we'll have a fully uh, east and west. And then we'll launch the third in the series, T, which... Um, will be parked in the center of the country as a hot spare. So there's five total, correct? Uh, four total. In this four year. total, I'm sorry, four. Yeah. So, um, and again, on each of those, there are the six different instruments and there's a number of other uh, uh, services on each one, like which we didn't talk about, for example, like a data collection service, you know, for example, maybe to get back stream gauge data from remote locations that may be bounced off uh, that go satellite or information for emergency managers, et cetera. Um, so um, it goes, um, does a lot. It's not just the imaging, um, but like I say, it's the imaging, it's the lightning, it's a space, it's these auxiliary services. Um, and again, it's an exciting time, you know, especially when you think back. 1966, we had one band, one visible band. It wasn't operational. So obviously at nighttime, everything went dark. Uh, fast forward to 1975. Okay, then that's great. We had operational. We had two bands, one visible and one infrared. Um, 
But again, uh, fast forward again, and the big step up, of course, is the ABI in Go 16. Is there a Go sounder uh, on Go 16? There's not, there's not a Go sounder. When uh, Go's uh, R was originally envisioned, there was uh, called the Advanced Baseline Sounder, so the companion instrument, um, the high spectral resolution to give you more vertical levels in the atmosphere. Uh, basically, due to budget constraints in 2006, that was canceled. So uh, that is not on the uh, on any of the uh, four GOES-R series. Is there one on any of the satellites currently working in operation? I remember there used to be some, I thought, and then I, I haven't seen them recently. Yep, yep, yep. okay. So on the current GOES-15, uh, for example, current series, there is a GOES-Sounder. There are those there are an issue with the Go Sounder and Ghost 13. Um, but that was uh, an old generation. Uh, so that had um, now, you know, uh, that had, for example, 18 spectral bands on it. Well, where nowadays, like the advanced sounders that are on polar orbiting, names like Chris and Iazi, Ayers, um, they don't have you know, tens of detectors or channels, they have, you know, thousands. And that's what you really need for the vertical resolution. So yes, we have uh, operational sounder uh, that's working on GOES-15. There's also one on, on GOES-14, although those were the, uh, you know, the kind of the last generation. Um, Europe um, has got plans for a geostationary operational sounder over their part of the world we'll need to rely on the polar orbiters and we do ha ha have a number of those uh shay i believe you had a final question here yeah one more you mentioned uh i know we're getting on the nine o'clock hour here you mentioned something about the lightning mapper and that's a that's going to be a fascinating product can you elaborate on that just a little bit and tell us what, what yeah you expect? sure so um so the imager you know is a scanner it, it's got number of mirrors and it moves uh, across the earth to build an image the geostationary lightning mapper is basically a stairer so it's got a big ccd array and it just stares at the earth at uh 0.777 uh, microns so um and it so it's looking for time differences so it says aha it just got brighter right there and so uh, and that's consistent. A couple of detectors nearby were, were also illuminated. That might be lightning. So that gets sent down to the ground. They run some more filters and then they'll determine, yes, that was lightning. And they'll then put that out, you know, I certainly within a minute of detecting it. So again, it's an optical scanner and, or an optical sensor. I'm looking at total lightning. So again, uh, just like if you're flying over a plane and you look, see the cloud and the, that's being illuminated, uh, that's what the lightning mapper would do. Obviously, it's a little bit easier at night when there's not enough, as not uh, you know, other radiation bouncing in. But uh, but they'll give uh, lightning uh, measurements, uh, observations during the day as well. And again, I think the real goal is to get this information synthesized together what the best of the geostationary lightning mapper and advanced baseline imager. I think that'll be really helpful for uh, a lot of forecasting. I know that like Allison House products and they have lightning detection where you can see how many lightning strikes there were in a small area. 
so this should be really helpful, especially the um, out of the blue lightning, the, the ones that are way out in distances. That would be really neat to be able to see that in real time. So really looking forward to that. Yeah, you'll be able to see the lightning as it kind of moves along the top of a cloud, you know, as opposed to just seeing the final cloud to ground lightning. You're seeing where it's developing, where it's moving um, and being able to then help educate people that, hey, this this lightning, you know, originated 50 kilometers away. And that's why you ha have to be be aware uh, again, lead time to severe weather by this lightning jump of a quick increase up and down in total lightning. Again, you don't you don't get that. I guess I didn't uh, move here enough to uh, <laughs> our, 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 our lights go off here. Uh, if you don't, if you don't, uh, if you move, I've sat too still, uh, apparently. We had the same problem with our guests last week. So you're not the first guest. Really yeah. cracking down on those light bulbs. <laughs> All right, Tim, uh, we are getting very close to nine o'clock. I have one final question and it's a hard one for you. What would be your favorite part of goes R if you had to pick one thing is it even possible for you well first of all there's six instruments and uh, the, the abi fine that's my favorite instrument that's an e easy one i really think the temporal component is 30 or one minute imagery that you can start to see things literally as it happens it's a lot more like looking out the window most satellite pictures you've ever seen are what has happened Hey, that was interesting. That was the atmosphere, you know, 90 minutes ago. That was the atmosphere 30 minutes ago. But now you start to say, hmm, that was one minute ago. And again, to see and get an update, then the next one minute. And all the glimpses we've got with GOES 14 is people just being like, wow, we've seen things before that you didn't quite know was there because you didn't have that time resolution. But, but I think when we really start, that really allows us into the mesoscale when we're looking at those fine time resolutions. So so I guess I'd have to say, you know, uh, you know, a nice time resolution of a, uh, you know, looking at an overshooting top or, or something like that at sunset. There's a, uh, there's my, as you see the shadow goes, but uh, you're right. That is a, uh, that is a hard question. I can't wait till uh, storm season comes around. You guys send out some of those images of the planes, uh, supercells at sunset and everything from this, uh, satellite all right um well first off thank you so much for joining us tonight we really appreciate it this has been an awesome show i, I really enjoyed your presentation down in florida at uh, kennedy and you've been awesome tonight as well uh tell people how they can get in touch with you you have a twitter account i know that you uh that's been... right uh, there, uh there's only one ghost guy so mm -hmm. uh first of all i'll point out the views are my own is not an official account in any ways but yeah give a follow on on uh, a ghost guy uh, let me know if you have any questions about about anything with uh, ABI specifically, or 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 goes R, we can put you in touch with the with with the right people. Uh, also, uh, check out again, um, you know, the goes R goes dash R dot gov. There's a lot of information there. Um, but you know, if your interest is in you know training, just curious data, um, you know, the 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 information's out there. And yeah, I'd be happy to help anybody to to get to that information. All right. Sounds awesome. Well, once again, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We're all looking ahead to next week. Let's see what's on the calendar that Scotty is laughing for next week. Next week, we have John Belsky from uh, WLKY in Louisville talking about weather folklore. And then we've got uh, appropriate talking about big data tonight. Ryan Hickman from Allison House joins us on March 8th. So those are the next two shows we got coming up uh, on our schedule here. This was the 
February 15th. I really cannot believe it's February, guys. It felt like we were just in, I felt like I was just a Kennedy launching the satellite like a month ago. And now it's uh, February 15th, almost what? December, three months later almost for the anniversary when we launched that. So, uh, man, yeah, I've reported it live from NASA too. I just like, man, yeah. uh, I mean, I, wow, a lot of excitement in the air. Yes, and a lot of us, a lot of stress and tension in the air is what I remember down there because it didn't launch the last possible second. Yeah, yeah. People ask me, "What do you feel?" And I'm saying, you know, relief was really the word that comes to mind after, like you say, the last second of the last minute. You know, within the reduced uh, hour of uh, of you know that they gave us to to launch that. Yeah, I think somebody typed uh, or tweeted out, "Goes stops, goes stops." <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much once again, Tim. Uh, we will see everyone here next week uh, for Weather Folklore.